Good morning again, Christ Community Church. We will be in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10, as we bring to a close our sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit. So this morning, I would like for us to take away this key truth, that the change in our character as evidenced by the fruit of the Spirit should result in tangible changes in our actions toward others for their restoration and edification in Christ. Let me read that again. The change in our character, as evidenced by the fruit of the Spirit, should result in tangible changes in our actions toward others for their restoration and edification in Christ. If you would join me uh, in reading the scripture this morning uh, from Galatians 6, chapter 1, uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from his flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in, in, in doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity... Let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as we step into this text this morning, uh, Richard Longnecker has a, a great quote about it. He says in, in, in Galatians 6, 1 through 10, Paul gives a series of instructions that spell out in practical terms what it means for his Galatian converts to live by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, and so to keep in step with the Spirit. So what we see here is Paul giving uh, some practical application of what it looks like to live out uh, the fruit of the Spirit, to live in step with the Spirit, all of those things that he was calling for us to be and do. So as we step into this text, I have a, an opening question for us, and it's, it's, it's one that we've, we've asked in various forms and fashions often. Uh, what do your present actions reflect about the character that you've previously cultivated? We've said it this way. You have no idea how either your prayer life or your devotional life is preparing you for something down the road, either in its absence, like if you, if you haven't uh, had a strong, been cultivating a strong prayer life, cultivating a strong devotional life through the means of grace, how that's setting you up to fail when tested or fail when a circumstance arises, or the other way around, the positive way, how that is actually preparing you well. <laughs> think about this. Back, think back to November 2019 or December 2019. Did we have any idea? When we stepped into the book of Revelation, then in some measure, it would feel like we were living out parts of it. Now, I'm not making any comments about millennial views here. I'm just saying it feels, uh, it just feels like the end of the world some days. 
And yet we have opportunities while the day is still yet long, Christ is not returned to honor and glorify him. So how, how were we preparing for that? Not knowing what was coming around the corner, right? And so, so, so how is your present actions giving you some indication about where your heart is, where your mind is, and what you need to be cultivating going forward, right? It's not a condemnation if you find yourself frustrated and fearful and, and shouting at the top of your lungs and not loving others very well. It's not a condemnation. It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for you to repent and be restored just as it's been for all of us. And so as we step into this text, we have to remember a bit of the context of the book of Galatians. Paul's pushing back against a group of people who had stepped in and said, listen, you guys having faith in Christ is great, but have you done these religious things? And in particular, they were talking about circumcision. And so uh, much of the language that we're going to see here in this text uh, has that in view, that we are saved by faith alone, that the Abrahamic covenant is the gospel in a sense, that it is, it's the desire that every tongue, tribe, and nation would be drawn in, that we would not find ways to further separate from each other or further declare ourselves more spiritual, more moral, more just than other people within our own camp. And instead, look for opportunities to be reconciled to one another, look for opportunities to be restored to one another uh, so that God would be glorified, so that we could go forward on the mission to which God has given to us for the life of the world. So we want to look at verses 1 through 5 first. This is the bearing of burdens uh, and the fulfilling of the law of Christ and love. And so notice what it says. It says, brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now, think about this for a second, the language that's being used here. This is, this is someone who has been caught in a transgression. That means that they've been exposed. That means that whatever it is that they've done has become public, right? And notice what he says that we must do as a response. And think about how embarrassing it is for the individual who's been caught. And notice here, it doesn't say that the person has yet repented. It doesn't say that they've done anything on their part except get caught, except be exposed. I don't know if you've ever been in a circumstance where you've been caught or exposed, but it is, it is, it is a terrifying circumstance. It's a, it just fills you with shame and guilt. I remember one time I was probably four or five and was playing at a young man's house uh, named Tony. And uh, Tony had a particular action figure that I wanted. It was the, the clear blue Micronaut. Well, uh, I took it and I stuck it in my shorts and Tony couldn't find it. And so I was standing there next to my father as Tony was trying to find his missing Micronaut when it fell out of my shorts on the ground and revealed, exposed my transgression. I don't know that I have ever felt, and I was at four years old, and I still feel that exposure acutely. Now, that's relatively minor compared to some of the other ways in which our transgressions get exposed, whether it's ideologies that we've had, whether it's, it's, it's things that we've done, whether it's advantages that we've taken, any number of things that can leave us feeling exposed. And what Paul is saying is that if... if if you are in step with the Spirit, if you're walking with the Spirit, you're bearing the fruit of the Spirit, then your first move when someone is caught, when someone is exposed in transgression, is to move toward them redemptively, right? We are to rush 
toward those who have been caught and exposed, offering redemption. Now, consider our present culture. Consider uh, what, is, what is cancel culture, which is not new, by the way. It's been, been going on for a long, long time. It just seems to be that it's on steroids at current because of, of certain aspects of media and social media and other things, right? We've been doing this to each other since East of Eden. Uh, this isn't new. And so this is as radical then as it would be for us to do this today. What would this look like for us today? If the people who are in our spheres of influence, the people who are in our church or, or in our community, when they were exposed, caught in transgression, that we moved toward them with the offer of restoration and did so in a spirit of gentleness. Now let me, for some of you, you, you may have thought you just heard me say that you don't deal, we, we wouldn't be dealing with their sin, that there would be no, no restitution necessary, that there would be no, that is not what I just said. That is actually to cheapen the process of restoration, right? Remember when, when Jesus restores Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector, who was stealing from people, he uh, made restitution. Paul in other places says, if you've been a thief, steal no more and restore what you've stolen and more as an act of the gospel. And so we, we need to be very careful that we don't see this as that there's no, no cost to the transgression in which someone has been caught, that there's no consequence for that there is. But what we are called to do as those who walk in the Spirit is offer those who've been caught the opportunity to be restored as a means by which God is glorified. And every one of it, and here's what's critical, and he's going to get to this here in just a minute. There's none of us who is without sin. There's none of us who could not be called out and caught in transgression. We just maybe have been not been caught yet, or maybe the, because of the grace of Christ, it, it won't come to light in the same way that it does for some other people. But we are to seek to be ambassadors of reconciliation and help walk with people through this process using all of the fruit of the Spirit, beginning with love. That means we have to love sinners. We have to love people that we disagree with. We have to love people that we think are foolish. So don't miss that when you uh, it comes to your knowledge that there is someone caught in a transgression in your sphere of influence, your first responsibility is to take responsibility in offering them re reconciliation or restoration. Not to gossip about them, not to say they got what they deserved, not to tear them down, not to cancel them outright. It is actually to move toward them and seek for there to be restoration. Notice how many times Jesus, and we've even seen this in this series, he eats with sinners. And that makes everybody that's not there at the meal mad. And so is, is it for us to not put ourselves in positions that may make other people look at us strangely? Um, and so we, we, need to be, we need to be the kind of people who rush toward those who are covered in shame and guilt and not push them away or not remove them from view. That's what's so dastardly at times about Christian organizations. When someone sins, we just quietly whisk them away so that nobody sees what they've done. And there's too many examples to, to even name. Um, but, but we need to be a, a society of people, a city that is set on a hill that, that is quick to move toward and offer restoration. 
which is a process, which means that the person who's caught in transgression would have to repent of their sin, bear the fruit of repentance, uh, uh, be involved in uh, apologizing to whomever they've hurt and not just in some sort of broad way, but where there's the necessity to make some sort of restitution, that would need to be considered as well. There's no law on that. We need to be careful that we don't make that into a law, but, but it is an evidence. It is a fruit of repentance. And to do so in a spirit of gentleness, we are so harsh with our words and language. I am having to deal with the plank so firmly lodged in my own eye. The things that make me angry straight away, that make it difficult for me to do this if the Lord were to actually bring someone into my sphere of influence who was struggling with something that I found utterly just crazy or they ought to know better and, 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 and being unwilling to do that in the spirit of gentleness would be sin on my part. And so uh, this is something that we must wrestle with. Christ's reconciliation is radical. Um, I was just reading Matthew 18 this week and just the, 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 how radical forgiveness is, how radically we are called to forgive one another. And I'm not talking about cheap grace. I'm not saying that it's just a, a, a glossing over the sins of the past. No, absolutely not. But it is a call to creatively ask, hey, are you willing to work together to make whatever this circumstances is better going forward for everybody involved for the life of the world? And he, he says this, which I've alluded to, he says, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. There's times we act as if we would never commit the kinds of sins that someone else has committed, right? We, we, we act as if, um, we, we would never hate an entire group of people because of their ethnicity or melanin or uh, their, their religious affiliation or any of those kinds of things. And what's been interesting to me is how many have, have struggled in that space of hating the, the people who've done those things for a, what seems like a just reason, and there's truth in that, uh, but leaves out some of the gospel if we're not careful. Like we, we have to remember that we have the capacity, every single one of us, for genocide. That every single one of us have the capacity to, to uh, steal, take advantage of, use our privilege for whatever it is that's going to most suit us and those we care about. We have to recognize that we, we, we don't love near as completely as God does. And we have to recognize that we are as capable of anything anybody else has been caught in. And so that helps to keep us humble, helps us to be uh, humble ambassadors of reconciliation. He goes on to say, bear one another's burdens. And in so doing, you, you fulfill the law of Christ. Remember what Christ said in John 15 is that the world will know who you are by the love that you have for one another. That, and essentially saying, when you bear each other's burdens, when you go the extra mile with one another, when you sacrifice for each other, when you display not just love when it's easy, but love when it's hard, then the world gets a glimpse of who God is and how deeply he loves this world. It is one of our best uh, ways of witnessing in this world, right? It, to be a city on a hill is to let our good works so shine before others that they can't help but get a glimpse of who Christ is and who God is. And that's not virtue signaling, and that's not for, and there's a fine line in all of this, but, but we should just do what we do because it's the right thing to do, right? Much like in Matthew 25, the, the difference between the sheep and the goats, 
Sheep didn't know that they were doing what they were doing because it was Jesus, which they were doing to the least of these. They just did it because it was the right thing to do. And may we be Christians who do what we do because it is the right thing to do and it displays the fruit of the Spirit. And so when we bear one another's burdens, not cancel each other, not dismiss each other outright, not offer reconciliation, but bear one another's burdens, which means we have to be close enough to each other. We have to know each other well enough to know what those burdens are. We have to be active in bearing burdens. And I know many of you, myself included, we struggle to let other people in. We struggle to let other people know what our burdens are. And so, so it takes some work to get to this place where we can even have the opportunity to bear one of those burdens, to know each other well enough to do this kind of work. It's often delicate work, which is why it requires a spirit of gentleness. But when we do that, we fulfill the law of Christ, which is to love God and love neighbors as we love ourselves, which has been the, the foundational stone for this particular sermon series. And then he gives a, a caution uh, again uh, to, to help keep us humble. He says, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And so what he's essentially saying is there's, and, he, and again, this is within the context of Galatians, he's essentially saying, look, there's a bunch of ways in which people think that their religious activity is accomplishing something. Right, that, that these religious acts that we do, uh, in this case, he would be pointing to circumcision, and these these other things that that are that are that are kept uh, not with the intent of growing and facilitating and maturing and loving others, but just for ourselves. Then you're really nothing. You haven't done anything. There's nothing. There's nothing in those religious acts and activities. And we, we saw that from uh, Isaiah 58 that, that was mentioned previously in the series. That you know the, the religious folks were like, "Hey, we're doing all this religious stuff, and God, you're not you're not doing anything for us." And he said, "Well, because what you're doing is not loving others. It actually is is causing disunity." And that's that was the case in, in the Galatian church. Is that these Judaizers were coming in and saying. You need to differentiate yourself. You need to be more spiritual than these other folks. And what matters is this religious activity that you do instead of uh, everybody having the opportunity by virtue of their gift in the Holy Spirit and the bearing of the fruit of the, walking in step with the Holy Spirit uh, to love, which all of us have the opportunity to do. There's, there's nothing, there's none of us who can't do that who don't have the capacity to do that if you are in union with Christ and filled with the Spirit. And so if you go thinking you're something, you're better than because of these things, you're nothing. This is meaningless. Um, then you've deceived yourself. And he goes on to say, but let each one test his own work. Remember uh, when, when Jesus talked about good tree bears good fruit, bad tree, bad fruit, that that was not for us to be looking at each other's trees, but for us to examine our own hearts, for us to be the first to, to consider the quality of the tree, the heart, and what comes out of the wellspring of that heart. And so it is our responsibility to be looking at our maturity level and the fruit of our own uh, tree. Are we bearing the fruit of the Spirit? It shouldn't be, if, if, it's, if it takes me coming along to tell you you're being impatient or not gentle or whatever it may be, unloving, that's, that's, that's a little bit too late. You're further down the road than you needed to be. We need to create space where we're looking at and examining ourselves, not in a, a navel-gazing, um, self-loathing way, 
Not at all, but, but understanding doing that in, in prayer, knowing we get to boldly come before the throne of grace because what Christ has done, the righteousness that has been imputed and given to us. And so you examine your own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. And what he's saying is you, you won't be using other people to try to make yourself look good because you've examined your work and you can see the fruit of the Spirit, then just live. Live that out, <clears throat> and you will be a blessing to those around you. Do what you know is right. And, and when it's presented to you, when it's, it's clear. When someone's caught in your sphere of influence, which way do you run? You should run to them with the offer of restoration. And it goes on to say, for each will have to bear his own load. Now, that is, that, is he contradicting the call to bear one another's burdens? No, what he's talking about here is we each will have to answer for what we have done with what God has given us to steward. We saw that in the parable of the ten minas, right? The gospel was entrusted to all of those servants. They were called into hostile territory uh, to, 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 to spend the house money they had been given, to invest the house money they had been given, and Christ came back to give an account. So, so it's not that you will ever be able to hide behind and say, well, my neighbor never gave me the opportunity to love them. <laughs> That's never going to be an excuse. That essentially is you hiding your lamp under a bushel. That is essentially you taking and burying your money in the ground. And that there will be a severe uh, recompense for that. And so we need to keep that in mind. So that's the context of what he's saying here. So Herman Ritterboss has a great quote about this passage. He says, and above all the bearing of one another's burdens harmonizes in every res respect with what Christ by word and deed taught his own. Notice what he said, by word and deed, that Christ taught us not only verbiage, but how he lived his life. One of the great things that you can do is spend time just studying the person and work of Christ, taking the time to really dig into the Gospels and prayerfully consider how did Christ live? What did he do? Notice any time there was an opportunity for someone to receive reconciliation. He, he, or healing, or whatever it may be, and, and it was possible for that to happen through faith, through, by God's grace, it happened. And he would exhaust himself in so doing. And so he, he gives us not only the words, but we see his deeds. And not, not, not only that, but we have the cross and the resurrection. Let's not forget the gospel that, that Christ has entrusted to us in word and deed. He goes on to say, in this real love becomes manifest the fulfillment of the whole law. So my question for us is, how do you view those who've been exposed and caught in sin? Now that's a broad question. Maybe it would be better for us to even name some of the sins that, that, that maybe we find more noxious or more offensive to us personally. Um, how, how do we view those in, in that case? Is there a sense in which we think there are those who are, by virtue of their actions, rendered unworthy of, of any offer of restoration, any opportunity to be reconciled to God? Again, I'm not saying they don't bear the consequences. I'm not suggesting that they don't have to deal with issues of restitution and other things. What I am saying is that everybody ought to have the opportunity to display in, in their image bearing the fullness of the glory of God by being in union with Christ, filled with the Spirit, the worst of the worst. And again, let's not forget who we are.
And so, so is there a way in which you view someone caught in sin straight away that is preventing you, keeping you, blinding you to the opportunity to rush in offering restoration? And then more importantly, what do you think your responsibility is toward them now that you know? When you know someone is caught in sin, what's your responsibility? What is your responsibility toward that person now that you know? Well, Scripture would say your responsibility is to offer them the gospel, to, to help them creatively walk through what does it look like to, to deal with the sin in which you have been caught. What does it look like to become an ambassador of reconciliation whose testimony could resonate with various groups of people in ways that, that would, would just bring beauty and glory? Again, I've told this story before, but Rolling Stone had it as its cover story. There was a Methodist minister whose son was brutally murdered by a drifter. And the drifter, when he, was, he got caught and he was on trial, <clears throat> and they asked if he had anything to say to the family, and he said, sorry. Well, the Methodist minister said that he heard something in that sorry that made him visit this man in prison for years. And over time, this man became a Christian. And again, you got to think, did you hear the magazine that I said it was the front page story for? Rolling Stone, who's no friend to Christianity, but this was such an amazing display of forgiveness and restoration that they, they at least posted it in incredulity. Like they, they couldn't explain it. And so these, these two men would go and tour and give lectures on forgiveness. Can you imagine? And what they would often do is people wouldn't necessarily, this is before people knew much about the story is is the guy who, who murdered the son, he'd get up and tell his side of the story and, and say, hey, I'm, I'm, I murdered this guy. And then the, the minister would stand up and say, and that was my son. And they would talk about the process of forgiveness. You, again, that's, that's a lot of work, but, but it was a beautiful display of what we're talking about here. And again, we don't all have to work at that level. There's many levels at which we work from how we treat our children when they're caught in sin, right? probably where you're going to get the most work in if you're a parent. If you're married, how do you treat your spouse when they are caught in sin? Uh, those of you who are in a family, which is all of us, by the way, right? At, at some point, somebody gets caught. Somebody no longer feels as welcome at the family functions. Somebody feels left out. So how do you handle that? Neighbors, coworkers, fellow students, so, so it's a lot for us to think about, but what would it look like if we were a church that rushed forward into the tension of someone being caught, offering uh, relief from their shame and guilt and opportunity for restoration and reconciliation? All right, let's turn back to the text and look at uh, verses 6 through 10, which is sowing to the Spirit and the call not to grow weary in doing good. He says in verse 6, Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. And so what he's essentially saying is, is that as a student, first and foremost, you need to examine what you're being taught, and, and which is why he says share in all good things. So, so you need to be careful about what you're ingesting. But when you do receive something that is consistent with the gospel, which would be a good thing, you, you should share in that in both word and deed with the one who taught you. 
right? None of us uh, comes into this world uh, without the necessity of being taught by someone. We have to learn from those who've come before us. We have to learn from those who are coming after us, right? And so, so we are constantly in the learner position given our limitations. So we in humility Ought to, ought to do both the due diligence of examining what we're reading, what we're watching, what we're being taught, which all of those things, nothing is neutral, as we've said many times, and to share in only what is good. And when we do, to, to make sure that those who are, who are teaching us good things, that they be encouraged in that. And he goes on to say, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Uh, and, and so what's interesting about that, following that is, listen, there are going to be false teachers that come. That's what he's, he's dealing with the Judaizers in this case in the book of Galatians. There's false teachers on all sides that are trying to get us to follow either this conspiracy theory or that conspiracy theory or this particular idea or that particular idea, whatever it may be. And, and, and can be bad theology, can be bad sociology, can be bad anthropology, can be bad biology. And so uh, what he's saying is, look, take heart. God is bigger than all that. He doesn't need you to run around trying to defend him. In fact, what you need to do is make sure you're close to him and understand his word via the means of grace, know his character, and live that out in the world in such a way that you are able to see when something is counterfeit, right? And so we can take heart. God is not mocked, right? And, and so he goes on to say that, that what, what one sows they will also reap. Now this goes back to kind of the question we started with at the very beginning. What, did, what, did you, what were you cultivating right, before all this went down? What have you been cultivating as you've been struggling under the weight of all the, the, the cultural hemorrhages and all of the back and forth and the just, just not knowing what the future holds in one sense? We know what the future holds in the ultimate sense. We just finished a sermon series on the book of Revelation. Jesus wins. And all things will be made new. And so, so we need to recognize that, that what we sow, we will reap. What we put in uh, to our Christian lives, what we add to our Christian lives, what we're ingesting in a variety of ways is going to produce a particular fruit. And remember, it's going to produce a fruit consistent with what it is and who we are. Uh, and, and so both and so, uh, it's, and he says, for the one who sows to the, to his own flesh, which is within the context of this fruit of the spirit stuff, you're going to reap corruption and it, don't go back and read. What are the evidences of the fruit of, uh, of the fruit of the flesh? Remember it was all commodification type language. It was all using people and being used. And he says, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. We need to make sure, it is our responsibility to make sure, are we in step with the Spirit? Are we bearing the fruit of the Spirit, as he had challenged us earlier? And he goes on to say, and this is just a, this is a wonderful truth, and, and we need to hear it. I need to hear it right now. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap. Uh, church, I'm weary. And, 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 and I... I'm human. I'm limited. Um, I'm trying desperately to figure out what's the best way forward to love you well, to protect you and steward the gospel to which I've been entrusted, to steward the worship that we've been called to engage in together. Um, it, it, it's been particularly difficult over this past week as so much has changed. The numbers are going off the charts. We, we don't know exactly what we're doing next. We're trying to figure it out. 
We don't presently know as of the taping of this or the videoing, <laughs> taping, that shows you how old I am. Uh, the videoing of this particular service, um, we are trying to make the best decision, also taking into account how it's going to affect our unbelieving neighbors who are, who are watching what we are doing. Um, and so we are trying to, trying to do the best with what we can, and that's been wearying, but I can't, I, I need to hear these words. I can't grow weary as we are seeking to do good because we will reap in due season because God said that which he starts, he will finish. And our job is to scatter seed and water as 1 Corinthians 3 tells us and, and, and to do that for the hope of, of eternal, um, the eternal raiment of the bride of Christ, which would be so beautiful. And, and, and I don't want to give up. As it says, don't, don't give up. Uh, and you don't give up either. And then he says, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And then we are, there are so many opportunities. If we would just ask the Lord to show us, if we would just relate to our neighbors in such a way to know what's going on in their lives, uh, to care about what's going on with other people, to check on people, um, to reach out to people, like we, we would have, we'd have plenty of opportunities because they're all around us. And he says, and especially to those who are of the household of faith, because he recognizes that we are trying to do what we're doing in a hostile environment. He recognizes that there is a particular weight to trying to uh, lift up the gospel in a fallen world. And so we need to make sure that we are loving each other well. And again, as Christ said, this is, this is how the world will know who we are by the love that we have for one another. Listen to what J.B. Fesco, uh, a, a New Testament scholar and one of my professors from RTS Atlanta back in the day, says about this. He says, it matters not where people come from. Did you hear that? doesn't matter where they come from. doesn't matter what they've been caught in. doesn't matter where they've started. Ours is a simple task. <laughs> That's easier said, but, but his point is salient in that it's, we try to overly nuance. How many of us get caught in the tangled web of nuance? Um, although nuance is important uh, in most cases, but too often we use it to try to wiggle out of things. He says, ours is a simple task. Love everyone. And again, he's not talking about cheap love. He's talking about difficult love, bearing burden love. He's talking about restorative love when someone's caught. You know how hard that is? We manifest the righteousness of the new creation in the midst of the darkness of the present evil age. These good works are not ostentatious or flashy, but are everyday and ordinary even though in reality they are glorious beams of light from the heavenly throne of Christ. So what have you been sowing during the present cultural upheavals and conversations? What have you been sowing? Well, better question is, what have you been ingesting, which is part of what you're sowing? And then based on what you're sowing, what do you hope to reap from what you've sown? We need to take stock of this, church. We need to take stock of this as we post things on social media. We need to take stock of this as we have conversations with each other. We need to repentantly take stock of this uh, as, we, as we say things, as we utter things, as we complain, as we struggle, as we wrestle. We need to, to recognize that these things have consequences to our hearts and our souls and to the hearts and souls of those in our spheres of influence. And so what do we learn from Galatians 6, 1 through 10? Well, it teaches us that our changing character is evidenced by the fruit of the Spirit 
should result in tangible changes in our actions toward those who are caught in sin as we, we once were and could easily be again, and in what we sow and hope to reap in accord with the Spirit, or it could be the flesh. Remember, it's our responsibility to take stock of these things. May we grow in maturing and keeping in step with the Spirit. May we grow as a church in evidencing the fruit of the Spirit for the life of the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have so graciously spoken to us these words in this time. I can't think of more salient words uh, for me and probably for many in our church, if not all in our church, to the call to not grow weary, the call to examine what we're sowing and reaping during this very difficult season when, when the world is watching even more acutely in some ways. God, help us to discern what is, what is best. Help us to, to uh, consider uh, all of the information that you have given to us in wisdom. Help us recognize that there are some things that are greater risks than others. Help us to see uh, that you, our, you, our God, are sovereign over all of this. And you are granting us opportunities that we didn't have before. You were showing us things we couldn't see before. You were saying things to us that we couldn't hear before. Give us eyes. Give us ears. Give us hearts to bear one another's burdens. Help us to grow in the fruit of the Spirit. Help us to grow in the outworkings of that fruit as ambassadors of reconciliation. May we have feet swift, not to the rushing and the shedding of blood, but swift to the bringing of restoration when one is caught uh, in, in a transgression. May we be a church who doesn't just whisk away the problem, but is willing to stand in the tension, stand in the paradox, listen, pay attention, grow, keep the gospel central. Uh, help us to be the hands and feet of Jesus. In Christ's name, amen.